Welcome to the Celtics Pride Podcast on Celtics Blog. I'm Adam Motenko. With me, as always, my twin brother, Josh Motenko. That's right. You're getting ready for game three. Let's do this. And my good friend, Mike Minkoff. I'm ready for a slap fight like Draymond Green and Jalen Brown. Let's go. So one big win. We Maybe we'll sweep them. One big loss. Fire and brimstone. The world is ending. Where are you guys at with after two games? Um, <laughs> like exactly halfway in the middle. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we all said something like Warriors and seven uh, before the series started. Um, frankly, if anything, I'm I'm a little bit. I, I mean, I'm pretty pleased with <laughs> the C's going out and winning game one. Um, game two was really frustrating to watch, but overall, you know, got to be happy with the, the start of the series for the Celtics. Yeah, yeah we... you make it to the finals and you've got your, your one and one after the first two games. You know, you took one from them on their home court. And exactly. I think you're happy with that. We took care of business. I think Keith Smith had this stat in 75 years of NBA finals. Only two teams have won the first two games on the road. So if we had won that game, it would have been historic. Uh, so I'm happy. I'm happy. And I think Celtics fans should be happy too, uh, despite what that game looked like at the end there. Uh, so what did you guys see in uh, after the first two games? What are the things that are popping up for you? Well, it seems like we kind of punked them a little bit in game one. We came out the tougher team. And game two was the opposite. They were obviously the tougher team with Draymond and all his physicality and his extracurricular activities and antics. Um, and that was one major theme. I think the other major theme is, you know, Horford and Derek White had phenomenal games, game one. And our supporting cast didn't really show up in the same way if you look at those two guys and Robert Williams. And, um, you know, they, they all came back to earth. And so our supporting cast wasn't the same. And if you, on the flip side, the Warriors supporting cast really came out in game two in, in ways that they didn't in game one. And um, so I think, like, how the bench plays and how the role players play for both of these teams is important as well as like, who's the more physical team. But let me know if you guys have heard this one before when the Celtics make the easy, relatively easier, simple play, keep the ball moving, keep driving, getting the defense in rotation and getting the ball to the open guys, including those role players. They do well. And when they try to force the issue, drive into too much traffic, overdrive, turn the ball over a lot, they do poorly. Because <laughs> that's pretty much the story of the first two games. In game one, Tatum had 13 assists and two turnovers. In game two, I'm not even sure how many turnovers he had. I think it was like six or seven. Um, maybe not quite that high. But he consistently kind of tried to do too much. He was not making the easy pass, which led to a lot of kind of um, open three-pointers for teammates in the first game because you know they'd have like Derek White standing above the break uh, and Tatum would just throw it to him. A guy like Draymond would be cheating off of him and he'd get a pretty much an uncontested three. Um, in game two, there were a number of drives where Tatum felt like he had an advantage. Um, he would go into kind of the, the help defense and uh, ended up kind of getting the ball stripped or throwing it into traffic uh, or having his pass deflected, et cetera. So I just, I, I agree that we need better performances from the role players, but I think that hinges on 
our our primary ball handlers making the easier decisions and and making it easier for everyone else to to thrive well great points about both of you and mike you you're talking about tatum four uh assists in game i'm sorry four turnovers in game two um only two in game one it felt like seven (laughs) i know and part of it was because he only had um three assists instead of 13 and i think brian winters had the stat that in games where jason tatum this year had seven or more assists the celtics are 17 and two and they've won the last 14 games and and it's interesting that it's it's only 19 games because it was really the halfway point that he started learning to really pass the ball around. Seven assists was a tremendous amount for him prior to the halfway point of this year. And then it didn't – I mean, 13 assists, like, is that is that not a career high for him? I mean, I guess it, we must know if it was, but it's got to be right up there. And it didn't – like, in game one, when he got 13 assists, it was not a huge shock to me. I took it in stride, and that would have been – phenomenal like it would have broke my brain if it had happened in in december um so i think tatum passing the ball is really important making the right pass as you said mike and and i love this this question came up on the winning plays podcast with brian robb did tatum have a better game in game one when he was uh three of 17 from the floor but had 13 assists only 12 points or in game two where he was eight of 19 28 points but a negative 36 led the team in plus minus negative. Uh, obviously, that had a lot more to do with, with the Warriors and when he was in the game. But when he's making passes like that, I mean, to get 13 assists, he's got to make the right play. But the supporting cast also has to hit the shots. And so it was a combination of both of those things. And my guess is that that plays a role in in that 17-2 and two when he has more than seven assists or seven or more, that the supporting cast has to hit their shots. So our offense is one of the best in the league when – both Tatum and Brown are setting up other players and they're hitting their shots. Yeah, I think the, I mean, I would vote for the first game. I love the 12.13 assists stat line for Tatum. Like that shows you if your shot's not falling, you're doing other things, you know, to help the team win. I think that in game two, it's, it's, if you're not like having a big scoring night, just being efficient is not enough if you're not getting, if you're not helping out in, in other ways with rebounds and assists and things in defense and things like that, like if you're not putting up other stats, you really need to have a 40 point game. If you're Jason Tatum, like, you know, just think back to last year in the playoffs, he was, he had two 50 point games, right? One of them was in the, um, the play in game. So I'm kind of still waiting for that Jason Tatum to show up and I'm glad he did other things in game one when his shot wasn't falling but I'm I'm waiting for his shot to really click and for, for him to, to be that scorer we know and are kind of like waiting for him to be. And Mike, you talked about turnovers 18 in game two. I said that coming into the series, we had to take care of the ball. That was key. Both of these teams turned the ball over a ton. Like Golden State had 17 turnovers in game two also, but the Celtics can't afford to do it because we don't have Steph Curry raining threes and Jordan Poole hitting them at the buzzer uh, at the end of quarters uh, from half court. So um, we we need to take care of the ball in order to win because Draymond Green was right. This team is not going to shoot 50% plus from both the floor and three like they did in game one. 
but we can still win games shooting the way we, I mean, shooting the way we did from three in game two. I don't know about 30-ish percent from, from field goal range. I think we were like 20-something percent through three quarters in game two from two and only had like three shots at the rim in game two. Yeah, I, I forget who tweeted it, um, but uh, there's a stat out there. The Celtics were six for 31 on self-created I think two pointers in in game two. Um, very 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 atrocious. <laughs> but um, but I don't know. I mean, right? We I, I don't think we can't turn the ball over because of a three point disadvantage. Like I think we have enough shooting. I just think it w- against any opponent, we've proven that we're terrible um, when we turn the ball over. Because and and the principal reason is because we it doesn't give us a chance to get our defense set, with and our defense is truly elite. So um, we let teams get out in fast break, and then they're able to set their defense. And in the playoffs, you know whether it's this series, whether it's the Heat, uh, we're playing elite defenses. Uh, the Bucks, obviously not the Nets. So um, I think that's why there's been a lot of volatility in our games in general because the difference because our offense feeds off of our defense. And if our, if we're not letting our defense get set, then we're, we're forced to watch the other team's defense get set and our offense uh, kind of try to grind it out with its inefficiencies against highly efficient or uh, defenses. So. Um, and that offense, Mike, when it's elite, I feel like we're fast breaking and we're getting layups. This last game we were fast breaking, but, but settling for threes. Mike, I think you made a good point before about it being about like a tale of two teams. Like the, our, our Celtics season is a perfect example of that with the first half of the year being completely different than the second. And even in the playoffs throughout each round, some games we've seen the second half Celtics show up and other games we've seen the first half Celtics show up and lay an egg. And uh, I feel like the same could be said about the Warriors too. Like it's a tale of two Warriors teams right there's the team where clay thompson's hitting tons of threes and it's just a barrage of offense and then it's other games it's the you know a team that's maybe not the most physical not the most aggressive and when their shots not falling their defense isn't really you know playing well either and so um like if you're a fan of each of these teams you're hoping the right team the right version of your team shows up and sometimes it's not as much about the warriors versus the celtics but which version of each team shows up Right. Yeah. And there's also a version of something else uh, that might show up. <laughs> uh Oh, here we go. Transition time. Here we go. And and that's the referees. And we got two very different versions of referees in games one and games two. Um, Wait a second. Wait a second. I, I know. I've been I, know. Told I know. Repeatedly I know. that I'm not allowed to talk about the referees on this podcast. It's true. It's true. By you. It's true. That's because you are bringing them up in like, the middle of January after we play Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bringing the up in game two of the NBA finals when Zach Zarba and Tony brothers and crew allowed literally Draymond green to ta- not only allowed Draymond green to tackle Grant Williams, but then had the audacity to call a foul on Grant Williams for that tackle. It was that, that, that single call was I, I feel like this is the type of thing that gets said a lot with recency bias that was actually the worst call i've ever seen in my life no that was no, the worst that call. was an nope. impossible foul 
Like the worst call was the one where Jordan Poole went up for a layup and Jalen Brown was close it, to him, it, it but was never Gary actually Payton. touched him. It was Garen, oh, Gary, Gary Payton. Payton the second. No, because it, in that one, at least Jalen's legs incidentally hit Gary Payton the second's foot, and that actually is why he kind of like his his body shifted in midair. I di- I didn't see that on the replay. So there was actually some. It was I I think it easily could have been called a no foul, but. I can't believe we're talking Draymond about the refs, Green. Mike. Draymond Green literally lowered his shoulder into Grant Williams' chest, knocked them both over, and Grant Williams had a foul called on him. That was one of like 12 outrageous non-calls or calls that went against the Celtics. Almost all of them triggered by Draymond Green. It was a masterclass in absurdity by the referees. Okay, Mike. That's then not the reason the Celtics up... lost the game, but it was. I, I just thought, and, and I and I think that it's not surprising that the the refs were going to skew a little bit towards Golden State in this yeah. one. I just thought, you know, be a little more artful, be a little more subtle, like <laughs> don't be so obvious about it. Like it was, it was a little embarrassing, even for what's some, something we all expected to happen. The obviousness of it all was embarrassing. Okay, so that's Mike, it. if that's you're going to bring up the refs <laughs> in this way, I got to ask, is the NBA rigged? Is the whole thing orchestrated? And do you have letters already written to your congressman and senator about it? Uh, I do not believe it is rigged. Uh, I do believe this was. there was a lot of... Uh, <laughs> absurdist officiating going on in this game that all of that said i think most of the controversial calls happened in the first half and the celtics were down two. like they stayed in the game they've they've dealt with bad calls i think the celtics frankly were coached specifically to expect this with this officiating crew because the celtics complained less than i think i've ever seen them complain um uh, including after some like uh, some of these obscene calls, they barely complained this game. I felt like they complained the whole game. Oh, I Ime even got a tech. I think I think Ime got a tech and he did it intentionally. But I thought the players were the least demonstrative I've ever seen. And like Grant Williams barely said anything after that foul I had just mentioned, where Green bowled him over. Smart got like pulled on multiple screens by Green, and he he wasn't like getting in the ref's face. I thought they were considering how bad I thought some of these calls were, I thought the Celtics were remarkably non-demonstrative. So I think, I think they fully expected this. I thought they were well coached going into it to not react. I thought they obviously felt like they were being officiated poorly. And, and he made a point to demonstrate that. Um, but I think I you're think... desensitized to players complaining because the Celtics do it so much. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, re- I really didn't think I really, didn't think they complained compared to like they didn't stop they were i don't know i thought they were pretty focused maybe i maybe i was watching a different game than you but that's what i saw <laughs> i'll have to, uh, I'll have I, to re watch and see if i was uh being too friendly my glasses were can, too green can we get off the refs absolutely well, so wait Rick, adam i need to know do you think that this is that they're that the refs are at least given orders by the nba to extend series, to make it more competitive, to uh, affect the game in those kinds of ways so that games get closer or 
uh, the other team wins if the first team won the previous game to extend series. Not necessarily to make one team a champion. It's 7G, Josh. Seven-game series. That's what they're going for. It's like 5G, you know, how the uh, COVID yeah. is connected to. Uh, yeah. Same same deal. Why Why are you asking – why are you going right to conspiracy theory? I, I just <laughs> think the – I think the refs, like, I think they have a tough It's a theme. Tinfoil tin hat, They drive Josh. me nuts. Yeah. They, the refs drive me nuts every game. I'm just like, try and call it fair. It's just, it's crazy how different they call it in the playoffs. But you know the, what? The they, didn't call, they didn't drive anybody crazy in game one. Nobody complained about I, the refs in game I agree. one. Yeah. I, it's like, I mean, Draymond is a pest. Marcus Smart is a pest. Like, keep them in check. It goes both ways. Decide how you're going to call the game and then call it the same each time. And, and the NBA should have, should, should have mechanisms in place to ensure whether it's training or reviews to ensure that the refs are calling it the same each each game, and then all the refs do it equally, as much as possible. And I just but, I think they can improve on that. But all of this said, going back to your original question, Adam, I didn't really, and like you said, Adam, like two teams out of seventy five have won the first two games of the finals on the road. Like I did not expect the Celtics to win Game Two. Um, I think I think it was uh, Andrew Doxy. Uh, tweeted out uh, good to get the uh the tony brothers uh zach zarba game out out of the way early in the series right like yeah especially that that game was going to be annoying we got it we got it done after a win um we're going back home with the series split like all considered this is this is pretty good uh and we've got some adjustments that we need to make going into game three so wait should we not expect to get those refs again I don't actually have any idea how the ref rotations work, but let's hope okay. not. <laughs> so let, let's, I want to get to adjustments, but I'm curious about, about a couple things first. So Marcus Smart, what do you, how do you guys feel like he's playing this series? I think he's been fine. Yeah. I thought he, he was pretty solid in game one. I, I don't think, I think he had some boneheaded turnovers in game two. Um, his defense Absolutely. has been pretty, pretty solid all around. Uh, you know, I also don't think he's being given as many opportunities to to thrive. I think Tatum and Brown are initiating way more offense than him, um, which we know is not. I mean, he's a point guard; <laughs> like he should initiate some offense, and we're generally better served when he does. Uh, we've been, but he had, he did make some dumb turnovers when he had when he had a couple of chances in in game two. Yeah, game two was rough. Game two um, was rough for him, I, and he's definitely. I mean, look, he. I love the guy, uh, but he definitely struggled in game two, and and he wasn't really popping in game one. And I'm starting to think, I'm starting to wonder how bad this ankle injury is, and that this yeah. series is showing that more than the last one did. Uh, he could he could bump and and, and um, push people around in the last series, hit hit open threes, set other guys up. But it wasn't as fast moving. He wasn't chasing people around as much as he, he has to in this series. Um, so I think it's it's making the, his lack of movement stand out more. But the last game, it was like just poor decision making. That's what surprised me the most. Well, he had two points last game. He had 18 the game before, 24 the game before that, 14, 5, 16, 24. So this is like one, two bad games in the last six. Um and it's, you know, I think this is a re, a, an easy reaction after a game where he scores two points. Um, the games that we've been winning, it's, we need Brown 
Tatum and Smart to kind of step up scoring the ball. And I think Smart's done a pretty good job of that over the last six games. This is just one where he didn't. Um, if so if he has two duds in a row, I think that there's cause for concern. I'm not going to be concerned yet. I also agree, though, that he, he's not 100%. You know, the ankle's obviously bothering him or, or multiple injuries are bothering him. Um, and we'll see if a little bit of rest between these games is going to help these guys who are banged up, him included. The third quarter has been the quarter for the Golden State Warriors all year and all series. They have dramatically outscored the Celtics in the third quarter, both games. Mike, how do you? what adjustments should the Celtics be making to try and change that? Um, the two biggest adjustments that I would like the Celtics to deploy uh, would be, one, play way more one-big lineups than they have been. Uh, they yes. stuck largely with the two-big lineup. They rotated Tice in. They had a, There was a lot of Grant Williams, uh, some Daniel Tice. Um, I honestly don't think it's much. I mean, we talked as if before the series as if it both Grant Williams and Tice uh, might have a role in this series. But after watching the first couple of games, I I think maybe Grant Williams gets maybe ten minutes. Uh, Tice gets none. Um, I think this is a, a, a Derek White and Peyton Pritchard series uh, beyond yes. our beyond our kind of you know. JT, JB, Marcus Smart, Al Horford, Rob Williams. So I would like us to really organize around that. Um, they they are oh, man, Mike. they, they oh, are man. fast. They are shifty. We need to kind of spread them out. Get a lot of basically put everyone on the floor except for our our five man that can put the ball on the floor and drive and kick. And even Horford can do that a little bit, but not in a real way. Um, and that can shoot threes at least credibly, if not it. Um, exceptionally, so that that's one, and the other is kind Wait, of Mike, to it. Yeah, let me let me let me say too. I think that's especially important with Rob Williams being as banged up and not playing, not being as effective. I think less minutes for him, and and just playing the five role as as you know opposite Horford when Horford comes out, mm-hmm. I think is is ideal. But can we define that? Like, are you are you including Grant Williams in a two big lineup? Because to me. He's someone who can switch defensively. Like in game one, our bigs were going, we're, we're in the drop and our guards were chasing on any screens involving Horford, uh, Rob Williams and Tice. But that wasn't the case with Grant Williams. He was switching guard to guard. Where I get worried with Grant specifically is that they put him in actions that end up leading to him trailing Curry behind screens. And he can't do right. that. That's the one, I mean, which is, very few people can do that, but you know who can? Marcus Smart, Derek White, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and even Peyton Pritchard. So those are the guys that I would predominantly want out there. So maybe if you stat, if you get Grant Williams on the floor when Curry's not there, but then Poole's out there and he does pretty much the same stuff. Um, so that's my worry with Grant is, you know, I, I don't. It's not a knock on him to say. You know, he's a power forward that can't chase the greatest shooter of all time and one of the best conditioned athletes in the NBA history uh, can't chase him around threes or around screens. Like, it's just a reality of some of the limitations of kind of his build. Um, 
so that I, I I feel like he gets a little bit picked on in those those assignments and the Warriors don't put um, the defense in that many traditional switch situations. Um, though they have been running a fair bit of pick and roll with Curry, which has also been destroying us. So I don't know. Uh, so I would still play Grant like 10 or 15 minutes, but I, I would, I would reduce his time. I don't, I think his time is less important in this series than guys like Pritchard. Um, and certainly Derek white, who I think has been our best player through the first two games. Would you guys start Grant? I mean, start Rob? No, I don't think so. No. Yeah, I would start. I would start Horford. Horford and and add White to the starting lineup. Yes, and then you end and then you end with Horford too. Horford's in your closing lineup with Derek White. Yeah, well. unless in, if, you know, unless for some reason you know if Rob looks like he's got extra pep in his step that game, which he's he's had a couple of games. Like even game one, he looked a little fresher, um, and and he does add some important thing. I mean, his health is so significant and it doesn't his lack of health doesn't get talked about enough as as affecting the celtics but the the other adjustment i'd make and it's related to this lineup configuration would be making sure marcus smart and Derek white are initiating the offense far more than they have been um i feel like all of our best position possessions last game um in game two were when Derek white had the ball and was doing something. He was either finishing himself or he was getting into the defense and just starting the kind of drive and kick and rotation. Like he, he's been playing really, really well. Mike, uh, when the fourth quarter started and the Celtics had on the floor, Peyton Pritchard, Aaron Neesmith, Grant Williams, Daniel Tice, and I can't remember who else. And, Smart was on the bench. Tatum was on the bench. Brown was on the bench. What did you think? That wasn't the start of the fourth quarter. That was like about a minute or so in. No, they right. they started the fourth quarter with their guys. And then the lead got to 29 or something. And then Ime subbed everyone out. And I was quite happy Still with that. Still a quick hook. I was to- yeah. I was very happy with that. I was like, yeah, make them, make them stew in this and keep them healthy. It's like a win-win. Same. <laughs> I mean, it, it's almost like no lead is too big for the Celtics to lose, but also no lead is too big for them to overcome the way these games have been going. And so it's like even 20-something points, I'm kind of like, let's see how the next couple minutes go. Uh, but I love – so I felt like there was a chance we could have come back in that game. And I'm glad Ime put them on the bench. Chances were low. I, I, the way you put it, let them stew. I like it. Um, Josh, Al Horford – Gets matched up against Clay Thompson. Golden State did this repeatedly. They put Clay on him. Horford yep. like didn't take a shot in the first half or something like that in, in game two. Backed Clay down once, got double teamed by Draymond. Everybody ended up on the floor, no basket. Curry three the other way. If if uh Clay's on Horford, what do you expect to happen? And and how should the Celtics shift uh to combat that? I mean, I don't think Horford's an amazing post player. I think if Clay Thompson's on him, you could go to him in the post. But I don't think that that's the thing we want to do over and over again. I think it's more like where Horford is, and depending on how Clay is playing him, he should make decisions based on his own skill set. So um, I don't think you have to over-focus on that kind of a matchup. But I do think it's really difficult for Horford guarding Clay defensively. That's something I noticed um, in game two, is that you know there's, it's really difficult for Horford if he if his if he's being screened by the big and Horford's in a double big lineup, 
that switch or that drop or whatever that defensive uh, rotation is for, for that ball screen or that off ball screen to get Clay Thompson open. It's not, it's not working well um, because, you know, it's just not, not a strength for Horford to be able to guard a shooter like that on the wing. Luckily Clay hasn't been hitting his shot, so it's not that important, but that's something that did stick out to me is like, that's, that's a, a problem right there for the Celtics, in my opinion, more than it is for the Warriors if if you get Clay defending Horford on the other end. Part of the reason that I like your the idea that you guys agree with that starting White makes some sense instead of Rob Williams is that it gives us shooters all over the court and driving lanes. So if Golden State does decide to do something like that, put Clay on Horford, I'm happy with Horford in the post, but I would get him the ball make them double team, Horford can pass it out. And if you're not doing that, then Horford should be dominating the offensive glass on that guy. Um, yeah, for and, sure. And otherwise, you're swinging the ball around, you're driving and kicking, and and you're living and dying with your three. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't see, I think I don't see Horford being the fulcrum of that offense out of the post. Um, yeah. He's not a good post player. He never has been a good post player, even in his like prime days he was running like little pick and pops from 15 feet or 20 feet instead of the three-point line um but you you have him upsetting screens and run just pretty simple uh pick and pop basketball with him like we we did with when we had isaiah when we had it and he spaces the floor at the top of the key we have like you said adam huge driving lanes and then shooters all over the court that you can that can also put the ball on the floor um, that puts a lot of pressure on the defense and we can get them in rotation. We can get them in foul trouble. Um, and we just need to make the simple play and, and not go for the flashy pass, um, which sometimes we're good at and sometimes less, less so. <laughs> and I think it mitigates Kevon Looney too, because I like the idea of making him guard Horford out, out to the three and switch on, uh, as you mentioned. What other adjustments would you guys make for game three or going forward? I think there needs to be an attitude adjustment. Um, I think when you punk them in game one and then they come back and do what they and Draymond did to the Celtics in game two and Ime gets a tech and the refs and this and that, like there's meetings afterwards that, you know, where I promise you someone was like, look, if Draymond Green does that again to me, instead of not reacting like I did this game, I'm going to, you know, fill in the blank. Right. And I think that it's like, even the coach is in on that and getting a little too fired up and whether he did, did that intentionally or not to try to get his team to, you know, to deflect the, the attention to him instead of on his team. Um, I think that, that you need to reassert yourself as the toughest team, as the East Coast team who went through the toughest playoff road to get to the finals and who, you know, personally, I believe is the toughest team. Like that's, that's an attitude adjustment that has to be a tone that you set from the jump in game three at home. Um, and that's honestly what I'm looking at for Josh, the Celtics to do. Josh, I got, a, I got a related question for you that, that I think is right yeah. up your alley. If we had to, if we had to call on on uh, the deep bench for an enforcer, who would you pick between <laughs> Luke Cornett, Sam Hauser, and Nick Stauskas? Oh, you don't Stauskas. choose any of those nice guys. <laughs> no, no, no. Those are the guys you're picking between for this question. <laughs> oh, uh, easily Stauskas. <laughs> yeah, I easy. think that it's the easy choice. 
Did you guys Cornette. did you guys see yeah. Vivek Renadive was in the game? Or was at the game? I, I saw someone tweeted that and <laughs> tweeted like Vivek was uh watching Stauskas in the finals just like he always dreamed or something like that. Exactly. <laughs> Dream come true. It was a great tweet. I mean, I was wondering if Grant Williams was going to lose control of himself a little bit and get both himself and Green ejected from the game and whether that would be a, a, like a way to one-up the guy who's trying to time you, like like Dre. That's what Draymond was doing. He was big-timing the Celtics psychologically. And so how would you get one-up on him is you know he's more important to his team than you are to yours, and so yep. you get both of you ejected. Yeah, no, I actually think that's uh, unfortunately the ideal role for Grant Williams in the series. <laughs> I, I mean, thought he was trying to do that in some sense, too. Uh, no, he see, that's the thing. I don't feel like he was nearly as chirpy as he has been in the past. I feel like that was a muted version of Grant Williams. Right. Even a muted and version is... of Grant Williams is still chirpy, but like compared to what we've seen, like the one that you guys say annoys you and um yeah. you know is like he wasn't that loud. He wasn't that like animated with the refs the way we've seen him right. in past series. And I think I I agree Josh like he should he should be the guy that's saying if you're going to muck it up as Jalen Brown put it Draymond I'm going to I'm going to get right in your face and like play off your your kind of chaotic emotions and and try to get you out of the game. You think he thinks of himself as too important, Grant? <laughs> I, 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 point, he he might, but I'm sure Ime has uh, consistently informed him of just how important he actually is. <laughs> All right, I got a question for both of you guys. Um I grew up a Celtics fan believing that defense wins championships. And then I went into coaching at the college level, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And I learned that that actually wasn't true in the modern NBA or at the college level, whether it was D1 or Juco, the team with the more talent was going to win. And offense in the modern game too often beats defense when it comes down to a good defense versus a good offense. Uh, and I'm I'm really curious about that as a storyline for this series and the finals in, in this day and age when you have the the shooting prowess that the Warriors have against the number one defense and grittiness of the Boston Celtics. What do you think? Does defense win championships still? Yeah, I mean, aren't these the number one and number two defenses in the NBA this year? I don't think that's an accident. Like you, you also need elite offensive talent and elite offensive playmaking. Um, but at the end of the day, these are two exceptional defensive teams and, and that, that, that defense is a huge part of why they are in this finals. The stats that I was sharing with you guys before we got into the playoffs about which teams make the finals actually skewed the other way, Mike, it was like, if you're one of the top offensive teams, you'll make the finals in the last 10 years at least. And the fact that the Celtics and Warriors are one and two this year is a bit surprising. I think you need both an elite offense and defense. You have to be at least middle of the pack on defense or better to, to win a championship it is what the data shows. I, I want it to be the case, Josh. I want defense to win championships because I think that's more interesting basketball. I think, I mean, personally, I find all this three-point shooting and, and no post-play at all 
and and limited mid-range game to be a little less aesthetically pleasing uh, no you just feel victimized because that was your game the 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 low post and the mid-range <laughs> no I, I, seriously like it's just like jack and threes i don't get it it's, <laughs> I, I don't it's not as interesting to me like side like individual play sidestep threes like that that's what the game is moving towards it's less I feel like you have less of a flow on offense. Yeah, even even when you just look at an offense, the team with more talent often wins or the team that plays better together offensively with more movement often wins and that, you know, movement can on offense and, and shooting on offense can easily beat the number 1 defense. It seems like. You know, you look at the teams that have won the championship since the Celtics won in 2008 and you know, it's mostly like Lakers, you know, LeBron's Heat, LeBron's Cavs, and the Golden State Warriors. And then, you know, sprinkled in and out, you've got some Toronto Raptors or some Spurs. You know, like, would you say the Dallas Mavericks and their one win? Whereas it like a stout defensive team? They were good, but it was their offense that really, you know, beat the, the Miami Heat and their togetherness on that end of the, the game. And so I, I really think that it's been proven that offense beats defense and offense wins championships. Uh, if you can also defend, defend a little bit. And I think that this series is kind of proving to be a little bit of an outlier in and of itself in the modern game, which I think is cool. And, you know, we'll see how it plays out, whether defense can win this championship. Well, I'll tell you, we'll need our defense to win this championship. <laughs> yeah, for sure. See, I wonder if we'll need our offense. To we'll also need that. We'll That's need what both. I think. Yeah, we'll need both. <laughs> I think more so our offense. Good, perhaps. Well, game three is Wednesday night in Boston, 9 p.m., followed two days later, the only two-day gap between games. Friday night, game, game four in Boston. We'll be watching. We'll be talking about it. Please listen, rate, review, subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Celtics Pride Pod or individually at Mike Minkoff NBA and at Coach Motenko. I'm not on Twitter. If you're listening now, consider yourself a part of Celtics Pride on Celtics Blog. 